Welcome to Astrology Investigates. This is Ms. Jenny with Primal Girl Wellness and Down to Earth Astrology. And today we are looking at the mystifying marriage of Virginia and Clarence Thomas. And just so we're clear, this is Virginia Thomas and this is her husband, Supreme Court Judge Clarence Thomas. Virginia is a MAGA supporter and patroness. Vir Virginia is apparently involved in multiple I repeat, multiple extreme right-wing organizations that are primarily racist in their ideologies and honestly believe that everyone that's not white like them needs to leave, like get out of the country and, and you know, let them have the country to themselves or like be here, but like stop complaining about people insulting you in the form of jokes and, you know, treating you like crap and all this sort of stuff. Just, just take what you get there buddy. <laughs> um, and this is her husband, Clarence Thomas, who clearly is exactly the thing that they're most not what is it, sympathetic to, um, and will be one of the first targets if their end days ever come about, they, they keep trying to make happen. So he is literally married to a woman who's involved with organizations that would literally paint a bullseye on his forehead the first chance they get. Um, go figure. Go figure. So the question on all of our minds at this point, now that we're aware of this, is why are these two married? What the hell, man? And if you think you're a little confused now, oh, wait until we get the rest of this. So hopefully astrology will help make this make sense. Okay, for those of you who are unfamiliar, this is the chart of Clarence Thomas. He is a Supreme Court judge currently sitting on the bench with a lifetime appointment. Now, what is notable about him is actually part of his history. So aside from him being an incredibly conservative and regressive judge, who's very anti-women's rights, anti-feminist, very anti-equal opportunity, like just the whole gamut, yeah, mm, <laughs> is back in the early 90s on the very precipice of being confirmed as a Supreme Court judge after George W. Bush's nomination of him, he was slapped with accusations of sexual harassment by a woman who had worked with him in a well, when he was in a different position with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, and that was Anita Hill. So the Anita Hill case with Clarence Thomas was an extremely big deal because this sparked a very big and important conversation about what sexual harassment was inside a workplace and and also what legal recourses people had, not just what men or women had when they were sexually harassed. Mr. Thomas was accused of, now understand, we're not talking sexual harassment like he was, you know, flirting with her or saying, oh, that's a nice blouse or, hey, your hair looks nice. None of that. No, 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 no. What he's accused of and if any of you young ladies or older women, but certainly younger ones, I'm sure I've had to deal with this, um, have had employers who have spoken in graphic detail about their sexual preferences or fantasies or anything that has to do with their sex or their genitalia or yours, um, or showed you dirty pictures or, you know, all of these things are wildly inappropriate, even if you were just dating somebody, right? But now, like, this is a power differential of where you really don't have a lot of say in the matter because you need your job. That's what we're talking about with Clarence Thomas and what he was accused of. So apparently he was accused of not only without invitation going into graphic detail 
about his sexual fantasies and what he liked and what about you and yada 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 um, while on the job with a woman who did not ask to have this conversation uh, he is also accused of showing her porn on his computer and making remarks about her body and yeah it was a big deal so if you have some time go back and look at the history of that case because it's fascinating fascinating okay um so but let's put that aside i just put that out there because it's a very big and important notable thing about clarence thomas and let's take a look at clarence as the person so the first thing we're going to look at is clarence is a cancer he's got sun mercury and venus and cancer so no surprise there that he's got some very conservative and regressive ideas about how the world should work now cancer men as a general rule of thumb tend to be very old-fashioned um, and like um, really like family models right old-fashioned family models home hearth and all this sort of stuff this does not make them all regressive cavemen it's not however one of the things that's interesting to note is that he has venus retrograde in cancer as well as mercury retrograde in cancer so he's not um, by his general nature a very forward thinking or progressive person this is the last person you're going to see in a, a poly marriage <laughs> the fact that he's in an interracial relationship is pretty huge but there are reasons for that which we can get into in other parts and some people like myself uh, we all know what that was about so yeah anyway okay so now the other thing too is if you look this sun mercury and venus conjunction this triple conjunction or stellium that he has sits in that sixth house of service so he is um there is a there is a part of him that honestly earnestly believes that he is here to serve to try and make things better now who he's making things better for that's a whole other question um, but there is that the other thing is that when you've got this heavy emphasis in the sixth house you either get someone who is very uh, health conscious or has health issues which makes them you know health and fitness conscious or you get people who are a little more compulsive like OCD uh, obsessive compulsive about things um, and there's a uh, there's a, a narrow limitation on what they can process so they're very controlling of their environment so i would expect him with the sixth house emphasis and cancer loading up in there to be extremely controlling by nature and certainly very controlling of his environment which is kind of interesting right now with that said all of this quincunxes his moon in aquarius now he has capricorn rising that moon sits in the first house so this quincunx with these old-fashioned conservative regressive cancer planets in the sixth house and that futuristic progressive moon in aquarius tends to be a little challenging so one of the things that we can expect is is a bit of discomfort or disconnect between these high-minded aquarian ideals and humanitarian visions um, because he likes to see himself as very humanitarian and very uh, ahead of his time you know on on the edge of the future you know sort of thing but his essential nature is much more traditional and uh, conservative and regressive and all the things that go with cancer right because they like it the old-fashioned way daddy leads mom stays home 
you know, all this sort of stuff, which also brings up some interesting questions about these conservative guys and women and their roles in public life, because that totally flies in the face of the things that they say they believe in. But that's a separate conversation. So <clears throat> with that said, just looking at the planets alone, that that is kind of that's going to be a bit of a challenge for him now. Interestingly, when we look at this, right, this moon in Aquarius is intercepted in the first house and because we do have a time of birth for him. We do know this. We also know that his chart ruler is Saturn with Capricorn rising, his chart ruler is Saturn. So the, before we go any further, here's a couple of things, right? Capricorn rises. He's got a heavy emphasis in Cancer with his personal planets right there. It's the whole paternus major, you know, daddy in charge kind of mentality. Um, you know, the world must be run by men and women are there to nurture and, and feed and, you know, create comfort for us. <laughs> now, Saturn is his chart ruler. So Saturn in Leo, no less. Again, it's this whole thing about men in charge, daddy in charge, um, you know, man as the leader of home, hearth, family in the world kind of thing with him because he's with his generation. He's got this Saturn Pluto conjunction. So Pluto conjuncts his chart ruler, which further really uh, intensifies and um, hardens is a good word, really cements in those men in charge, men rule the world kind of mentality that you're going to get with Capricorn rising, Saturn and Leo, and all this cancer stuff, especially with Venus and cancer retrograde. So uh, this is you you want to keep this in mind because this is the the essence of who he is this is his general nature now he does have that moon and that progressive humanitarian futuristic aquarius but the problem is it's intercepted right so he's not necessarily able to access that part of himself very well and oftentimes when you have an interception the planet in interception can operate as a bit of a blind spot or a, a, a point where you're not as self-aware as you could be. Now, mind you, many people walk around that have nothing intercepted and have so little self-awareness that my dog is much more uh, self-conscious and enlightened and self-aware than they've ever been on any day of their life. So self-awareness is not something that comes naturally. But when a planet is intercepted, the self-awareness of the planet that is involved, so for instance, him, um, uh, operates in many ways like a blind spot. So oftentimes they'll trip into the experiences expressed by the planet um, and not realize what's happening until they're there. So with a moon intercepted, regardless of sign, oftentimes you'll get people who are, <clears throat> well, their blind spot is their emotions, their emotional life. It's not that they're not emotional, but oftentimes with that interception, making that moon or the emotional functions a bit of a blind spot, they'll often find themselves having feelings and not realizing what's happening, right? These are people who start crying and not understand why they're crying um, or who'll get upset and they're not sure why they're upset or they're getting anxious. And upset. There's all sorts of emotional reactions that will occur that they're not immediately able to connect to something that triggers it. That's the interception. So that's the moon and you take that with any other planet, the interception creates kind of like blinders or a blind spot around it. So with him, and remember he's all this cancer, that moon, disposits all that cancer and it's intercepted. So with him, there are a lot of challenges in being this emotionally comatose, right? Or unable to access your feelings when so much of what you do is driven, you know, by your 
feelings and your dreams of what the world is supposed to look like. Because with all that cancer, he is absolutely driven by the, the mythos in his head of what the world is supposed to be and who he's supposed to be in it. The problem is his actual emotional network, all the things that drive his particular decisions on any given day beyond the ideals here and these, these dreams and fantasies about what the world should be and who she, he should be in it, with that moon intercepted, oftentimes these are irrational decisions that he doesn't realize are irrational or how irrational they are <clears throat> until much, much later in the game. This doesn't have to be a bad thing if you need to be in jobs where your emotions should be on very low simmer and not highly operative during your work, like, I don't know, bomb squad, <laughs> hostage negotiation, um, you know, high wire, you know, uh, performance in a circus, things that require your emotional responses to be muted, that intercepted moon is perfect, right? But in other situations where you're making decisions or you're taking actions that are feeling based and your feelings could potentially impact or influence, because remember he's got Mercury and Venus here in Cancer, both of them retrograde, could influence things, uh, then it's more problematic. The fact that he's a Supreme Court judge, which means that all of his decisions about and values, Mercury and Venus, retrograde both, <clears throat> This creates problems when you're making decisions that are not rational because you don't even know really the truth about why you're making these decisions because you're blind to your own emotional uh, impetuses, right? Wee! Fun days, fun days. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I'm scared to death. Okay, so <clears throat> some other interesting things about his chart. Now, he has, he has Mars in Virgo and he's got that sixth house emphasis in Cancer. Um... Interestingly enough, with this heavy emphasis in the sign of service and servants, he is a follower, not a leader. In spite of the fact that with this ambitious Cancer Capricorn thing happening in the chart, he sees himself as a leader, you know, a man among men, a leader among, you know, the, the masses sort of thing. And certainly if you're a Supreme Court judge, you're definitely in a position of absolute power and leadership because highest court in the land and nobody can police you which is also something interesting that's come up recently because of all of this with his wife as well. And that is, who does the Supreme Court judge answer to when it comes to matters of ethics, right? Because apparently nobody can touch them. They, they police themselves. Yeah, the police policing themselves. That's always worked well. So in spite of all of that, he is still a follower, not a leader. He is a person who takes his marching orders from other people because that is how he operates best. He is here to do what needs to be done. He's not the person who makes the executive decisions in spite of the fact that he sees himself that way. So that is something to keep in mind about him as well. Um, Cause he was appointed by the Bush administration. Uh, and there's a, there's been a long history with the, conservative movement getting more conservative and more crazy and more ooh -wee, uh, regressive in really damaging ways to the point that we're at now um, and the appointments that they've made. So I'm not going to lay this all at George Bush's feet, but I am going to say the Bush administration is part of a much longer chain of, of political influence that's been going on uh, that's, that's brought things to where they're at and they're still trying to push us to go. All right. Now, <clears throat> Sorry, <laughs> we can't talk about one and not talk about the other. 
Okay, so the other thing that I thought was interesting is he's got Uranus here in Gemini, right, with a part of fortune. So this together, and it's in the fifth house, so this together should indicate um, a couple of things. And it's also, well, it's kind of a wide sextile, but it's, we'll take it, right? And it's an opposition to Jupiter. So with this particular combination, you're going to get somebody who's um, creative. I would be very surprised if he's not artistic or creative in some way at home in his personal life. His son, uh, he does have a son from his first marriage because uh, this is his second marriage to Virginia. Um, his child should be very, very gifted in some way um, and certainly should do good things in the world. Um, I would be really surprised if his son didn't turn out to be the exact opposite of him and very ultra progressive, ultra liberal kind of thing. That would be interesting to see, wouldn't it? Um, like Anita Bryant. Um, for those of you who don't know, Anita Bryant's from the 70s. She was a very big anti-gay um, advocate and turned out one of her kids was gay. <laughs> the, oh, the irony. Okay, so Uranus sextile. It's a wide sextile, but it is a sextile to his chart ruler, right, in that seventh house. So this should also indicate, uh, again, this this sense of progressiveness. So in some way, somehow, he sees himself being the ultra conservative as the progressive in the room, right? So somehow his conservative backward ideals and this regressive return to man on top, woman on bottom, daddy leads kind of thing. Um, and, you know, men in charge of the world, absolutely. Women are just there to take care of the, the, the house. Uh, he, for whatever reason, he would see himself, knowing what we do about him, he would actually see himself as being very forward thinking in that way. That's pretty frightening. <laughs> I do not understand that. Now, with Uranus opposing Jupiter like that, this, and here's what's interesting, because we only ever get to see him being a stuffy old judge, right? Um, with Uranus opposed Jupiter, he should actually have a very fine sense of humor. Um, he should actually be funny as all get out in his personal time. And with the chart ruler, Saturn, over here in Leo, here's what's interesting. So this combined with this, Saturn and Leo, you wouldn't think of Saturn or Capricorn rising as being funny or being a performer, but with this chart, with the Saturn, with Saturn in the, in the sign of Leo as the chart ruler and this Jupiter-Uranus conjunction on the 5th and the 11th, this guy has got to be quite the party animal and funny as all God knows what when he's not in his official duties. So it's an interesting contrast between what we see as the general public and who he probably is when he's away from the cameras, you know, or the court, the court public-facing court. So I thought that was interesting. Now, um, what's very important to note about his chart, and this is going to come into play, especially this year, because we're seeing it happen now. The North Node is in Taurus, right? But more importantly, the South Node is in Scorpio with Chiron. Now, this year, we've got Taurus-Scorpio eclipses happening, bang, 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 all year long, which means that he is getting hammered with these eclipses. Now, with the North Node in Taurus, your job here in this lifetime is not, as some would-be hack astrologers would say, oh, you just got to go out and make money. Yeah, no. With the North Node in Taurus, in this lifetime, one of your jobs is to work on your value system, right? And to develop and establish a foundation of security, and priorities that reflect your values in very healthy ways. So being money grubbing is not the North Node in Taurus. That's a really cheap, poor, 
badly evolved version of that working on your value systems right through the acquisition and use of your personal resources is absolutely your north node in taurus because your south node here in scorpio you're coming from a previous lifetime where you were sharing your resources or you're relying on other people's resources for your survival so in a previous lifetime you were your money and other people's money were tightly mixed up and there was no separating the two and and or Here's what's interesting and or because Scorpio is all about power and use and abuse of it, right? In previous lifetimes were also issues of power dynamics that were at play uh, that were extremely complicated. And in this lifetime, you're learning to stand up for yourself with that North Node in Taurus, right? So it's no longer giving into your partners because your life depends on them, but finding a way to make space in your life so that you can stand up for yourself regardless of what other people and in particular your partners have to say about it and i thought this was very interesting as it's coming up this business with this marriage and jesus what kind of weirdo dynamics that's about right now the other thing that i thought was interesting is his chiron is with that self node so and it's in his 10th house so here's the thing right in this lifetime with that south node conjunct the midhaven and in Scorpio, it's absolutely perfectly uh, descriptive of his role as a Supreme Court judge, being the highest court in the land, the ultimate authority, and literally having no one who will police him except his peers, because only the Supreme Court can police themselves. So that South Node with the Scorpio, it's all about power, and he's absolutely risen up into the exact replay of power dynamics from a previous lifetime so it's all about status and power status and power that's what this job ref reflects and this is exactly what that south node on the midhaven is showing us he's not supposed to get lost in right the problem with your south node is it's very easy you've done it before and it's very easy to get stuck there we want to be where our north node is so we're like salmon we have to constantly swim upstream against uh, the easy current to get where we need to go if we're going to create a future for ourselves. Now, with Chiron here, with that North Node in that 10th house, this is a point, this is an Achilles heel for him. So, uh, in many ways, the desire for authority and power and status is a huge evolutionary Achilles heel. He could easily go through his entire life enjoying the benefits of just pursuing power, money, status, right? He could absolutely go through his whole life enjoying all of these things and never actually doing his evolutionary work. The problem is uh, what happens is as you go through in time, you find that these things have less and less appeal and satisfaction. And boy, you wanna talk about a midlife crisis. Holy cow, this stuff is not fun. And then when you get to the end of your life, you realize that there's nothing there. You open the box and there's nothing inside. Um, so with a Chiron there on top of it, it makes it extremely painful when this happens. So he must, if he's to get through this lifetime without screwing it up, he must, one, examine this desire for money, power, and status, but specifically power and status, which is gonna be very difficult to do with this quincunx and this intercepted moon, right? And he must invest his energy into pursuing his North Node in Taurus which is about establishing your values and priorities for yourself, unaffected by your partners. 
So you must be able to stand separate from your partners, uh, not just financially, but also in terms of your values and the priorities and things that matter to you. So that is some pretty interesting stuff. All right, now let's get on with the show. So what was interesting is if you look at the transits in his chart, right, there would have definitely been challenges, really strenuous challenges um, or marital problems between, uh, especially highlighted between March and June of 2020. Um, now, I haven't had enough time to go back and research the timeline with public information that we have. So if you know something, uh, please, by all means, let us know. I am curious to see if she was doing something um, that would have been particularly detrimental uh, in that time, right? March to June, March, April, May, June of 2020. Now, come December of 2020 and January of 2021 is when this marriage would have reached a breaking point. So we're into 2022, just just barely in 2022, and they're still married, but that does not mean that the marriage itself has not ended for all intents and purposes. Um, so uh, it will be interesting to see what hap what was going also as well, December, Jan December of 2020, January of 2021, because whatever was going on then would have literally brought this marriage to an absolute like breaking point. That was like literally the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and of course, everything at this point is all about, you know, him um, and how this is going to affect him as we move forward. So we'll see if you can remember what was going on during those times with her or him. Uh, please put it in the comment section below because um, I've got other stuff to do. I don't have time to do extensive research on these characters. So if you know something, please share. And this, my friends, is a snapshot of a tweet from Ginny Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas. This is her personal account that she sent out on the day that the riot and attempted coup of the democracy in the Capitol took place. Um, she apparently has been instrumental in facilitating and helping these groups get down to D.C. for this. And apparently this tweet is nothing compared to what she posted on her Facebook, either that day or a couple of days before uh, she apparently is taken down and hidden from everybody. And this, my friends, is why suddenly everybody's talking about Ginny Thomas and Clarence Thomas and their marriage. Is Ginny Thomas a threat to the Supreme Court? Behind closed doors, Justice Clarence Thomas's wife is working with many groups directly involved in controversial cases before the court. And the reason this is an issue is because there have been multiple cases that have been brought forth to the court where she has been involved, right, up to including some anti-abortion laws in a couple of states, um, where as a Supreme Court judge, he has been sitting in on making the decisions about, and he has not recused himself from these cases. He has not removed himself from these cases. And everyone knows there's no way you're not going to go home and talk about your, your work with your partner. I mean, unless you really hate your partner, then maybe because <laughs> you don't talk about anything. But as a general rule of thumb, if you're in a functional marriage, you're going to go home and you're going to discuss things with your spouse because you're trying to, to sort stuff out in your head and you need a sounding board, which means that he at some point, because it's human nature, would have gone home and discussed things with her just to sort of sort them out as a sounding board or how he feels about it, which remember, he has difficulty accessing his feelings anyway. And she being participating, participant and advocate for so many of these extreme ultra conservative right wing wackadoodle groups um, absolutely would have his ear and the ability to, uh, to, to sway him in one direction or another. Right. And this is why 
this is a concern because again, there have been multiple cases he's, he has sat on his, instead of recusing himself where she has actively been involved with the plaintiffs in the case. If you have time, I highly recommend you go look for this article and read it. It's amazing. This was from the New York Times, or no, sorry, the New Yorker. This is from the New Yorker. Um, and if you look for this byline or the journalist Jane Meyer, uh, January 21st, 2022, you'll find the article online. Absolutely go read it. And here is Ginny. So Ginny is a Pisces. Now we think her moon is in, in Capricorn, but we don't have a time of birth for her. So her moon is either like maybe one degree Capricorn or 28, 29 degrees Sagittarius. So that moon, we've got some latitude here depending on what time of the day she was born. Um, what we do know is that whether it's late Sagittarius or early Capricorn, she is still very much within orb of having a square to her natal Jupiter. So, and this is going to be important in a second. Now, so what can we tell about Miss uh, Virginia and why on earth she would marry somebody who's obviously not anything in keeping with what her favorite uh, social tribe believes is acceptable for marriage or anything else? So uh, Virginia is has the sun in Pisces. She's got Mercury and Venus in Aquarius. So in and also Chiron is here as well. So in many ways, so that Pisces Aquarius combination, you'll often get people who see themselves as a bit of a social rebel, right? So they'll they're not typically um, aggressive enough or strong enough uh, or or passionate about their convictions to really like overtly take a huge dramatic stance, you know, to fly in the face of convention. Like she's never going to get face tattoos, right? <laughs> you know, or doing like the, the, the cult, the Moonies or something like that. Well, maybe. Um, but certainly she'll do little things that, that show or say to, that she will say to herself are representative of her uh, independence. You know, because I'm such a progressive, you know, wild child. You know, I'm such a bad girl. Um <laughs> Sorry. So that's what you get with a Pisces Aquarius thing. Now, typically with Pisces Aquarius, you get people who are much more given and devoted to causes of humanitarian nature. And she would probably say, if you asked her that all these organizations she's involved with them, you know, these, ugh, these MAGA supporting hateful ultra conservative organizations, she would probably say that these are humanitarian causes. But the thing that I would say to you is to keep in mind that Pisces often takes on the causes of the underdog. So Pisces will frequently when they are when they when they are finally motivated to do something rather than you know hide in the shadows and wait for it to go by kind of thing, they will always be the ones who will champion the underdogs, which means that anything she gets herself involved in, she's going to see as an underdog or a lost cause, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> Listen, I don't make the rules, I just read the charts. <laughs> okay now with this moon jupiter square here this moon jupiter square makes her optimistic and sometimes a little less realistic um and you know it's all about the party right so she's always going to be attracted to things where she can feel like she's part of the group part of the party um and being an ultra conservative Nebraskan who's married to a very conservative Supreme Court judge, the only party that's going to have her, you know, and, and embrace her with big warm hugs are going to be other ultra conservative groups that need her 
access to his ear. Um, you know, but you can't tell some people some stuff because they just don't want to hear you, right? Okay. So speaking of people not wanting to hear you, now let's take a look at this. Mercury, Venus, and Chiron all in Aquarius like this around the middle degrees, right? These all square that Mars and Taurus. This is problematic because Mars and Taurus as a rule is a very stubborn. They're slow to make up their mind. They're slow to do anything. But once they start doing it, man, they're like a freaking freight train and you're not going to stop them. You cannot stop them once momentum has been initiated. So Mercury and Venus... Uh, and Aquarius is also extremely stubborn. So she is very fixed, fixed, fixed uh, in her ideas about anything. Once she's made an opinion about something, informed, ill-informed, you know, correct or inaccurate, doesn't matter. Whatever her, her final decision is on something, she will stick with it literally until the end of her days if it's the last thing she does. She will go to the grave, you know, hanging on to that like a bulldog. So obviously this is good when you're championing a good cause and obviously this is bad when you find yourself championing what you thought was a good cause it actually turns out to be a big old poison pill because uh, even when it's a big old poison pill she won't let go of it one of the problems or challenges with her because Aquarius is a group sign right is that she will often stay with people in situations much longer than she should because she's so driven to be part of a group remember she needs to be part of the party um, and by the time she realizes what has happened, because Chiron, right? By the time she realizes what has happened or how far down the rabbit hole or sewer hole she's managed to, to slide into because she wouldn't get out sooner, um, it often is going to be to her detriment, right? So there is that. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and I believe somebody mentioned, I think she may have mentioned, oh, that's Life Spring. She was involved in a group called Life Spring. Um, which is not a bad group, but you know, with any group that has chapters, they'll kind of splinter off and do their own weirdo thing under your name. Um, it's like having kids. <laughs> they were fine when you were raising them. Once they leave the house, they still carry your family name, but they're living a whole different life. <laughs> anyway, that's life string. So, uh, and she's described life string as what she thought was a cult later kind of thing. But I think it was just more predatory behavior by the people in the group she was with. But again, it's this thing about her. Once she makes up a decision or an opinion about something, that's it. Ill-informed, rightly informed, correct, inaccurate, whatever. She'll stay with it much longer than she should. Because once you get momentum going, you can't stop it. So once she's committed to something, she's committed. Unfortunately, with Chiron here, it also usually guarantees and further reinforces, really emphasizes that when these things occur, they're often going to be extremely detrimental to her. So in this lifetime with Chiron and Mercury and Venus together, one of the big challenges she has is to really examine her need for group acceptance. That's a big, big deal for her. Mm, 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 mm. Okay, now she has Saturn in Sagittarius, okay? Saturn quincunxes uh, Taurus, which again, with a square, it's not helping, not helping. And I'll tell you why, right? So we have a square here, we have a quincunx here, Mars and Taurus, right? Mars and Taurus is stubborn and refuses refuses to admit that they're wrong or, well, or defeat or surrender any of that. So the problem is with Saturn and Sagittarius, she's a know-it-all. She needs to feel like the smartest person in the room. She needs to feel like she's part of the hip crowd. So whatever's really hot, hip, and happening, she needs to be there right at the front row. Um, no matter how much you know, she knows as much or more. Like She needs to feel like she is um, 
well, not at the top of her game, but she there's a real issue with being a part of the in crowd as opposed to the out the in group as part of the out group, right? So she desperately needs to be part of the in group, and a lot of the currency that she will use in this lifetime with this particular combination is one being a know-it-all. She knows more than other people, um, and two. Uh, being, you know, part of the in-group, the the it girl, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So being belonging to uh, a tribe, being where the party is, and being the party girl, the star of the party while she's there is a very, very big deal for her and a bit of an Achilles heel. So there is that, and we are certainly seeing that. Uh, what else we got here? Sun, well, she's got Sun Uranus Quincunx and she's got a Sun Neptune Trine, which can make her very imaginative or it can make her very crazy or both. Um, uh, I suspect that we may be dealing with both at this point, <laughs> but you know, that we'll see. We'll see. So, some interesting sidebars. If you have a chance to look up uh, Ginny, uh, definitely look up her political affiliations. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff coming out about her that's really interesting. And really, the more you read, the more you start wondering, like, why are she and Clarence Thomas married? And why is she still married him? And why are they putting up with this? Because the people she's supporting don't, do not, do not approve of interracial marriage. So um, interesting sidebar, she did not get married until she was 30. Clarence Thomas is her first marriage. And in case I didn't say it earlier, Clarence Thomas was just, his marriage was on the rocks when he met Ginny. Um, and it wasn't much long after he met Ginny that he ended his marriage and then promptly married her or moved in with her. So the grave wasn't even cold on the marriage uh, when he got like officially publicly involved with Ginny. Um, we got, if you're familiar with Spike Lee movies, this is a whole lot of jungle fever thing happening here. It's like so blatantly and so obvious. Oh my God. So if you have time and you're interested, I highly recommend watching Jungle Fever because it's Spike Lee does good stuff. Um, and then over overlaying the Clarence Thomas Virginia Thomas marriage over top of that when it comes to him divorcing his wife and getting married to Jenny some interesting stuff um, also uh, I was looking at it and at age 53 is when she finally made the step forward because she couldn't get her own career off the ground because her husband was a judge and typically in these situations because they're in such positions of influence and policy making the spouses and partners of Supreme Court judges and senators will often step down from their position if there's a question of impropriety or things looking fishy. So, for instance, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, her husband stepped down from a job he was doing uh, with a company, a private company doing something or other, and went to teaching because it would look very questionable that he is working for a private firm doing whatever, whatever, and his wife is a senator making policy decisions involving those things that this company does. A lot of the, the Supreme Court justices, um, the Ginsburg, uh, Supreme Court Justice Ginsburg, even her husband, you know, did something different. So um, there's a lot of that going on. And so apparently Ginny couldn't actually get anywhere because it, it would look in, inappropriate. Like, but clearly the, <laughs> the lids off the box for that. And at age 53, well into this marriage, she started her own lobbying firm. Uh, for these ultra-conservative groups, while her husband is clearly a sitting judge on the Supreme Court. So that's interesting. And I'm not completely sure. And listen, I know this is going to sound sexist, but at 53, that's right about the time she'd have started having 
uh, the, the menopausal breakdown, right? And so there's, it's entirely possible that if she was a little crazy before, she was definitely crazy at this point um, and just getting loopier and loopier, right? And listen, this is not a sexist thing to say only because men go through it too, but earlier. Typically with men, it's their midlife crisis in their mid to late 40s when andropause starts kicking in and they start getting really freaking weird. And if you don't believe me, look at the politicians. George Bush is a classic example. As soon as their daughters become of the age that they're sexually active, these men lose their damn minds and start wars. That's exactly what W did. As soon as his daughters got caught drinking and smoking and you know messing around with secret service men, well, that we know of, <clears throat> cough, cough. Uh, next thing you know, he's driving us right into a war. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, men go through it too. So maybe we should start electing either much younger politicians or we should wait until all the hormonal hysteria is calmed down. <laughs> and this isn't to say that everybody goes through this. I know, I know many, many tons of women who've gone through menopause and they're perfectly sane, rational human beings, literally. They, the worst that happens with them is they're a little bit more irritable cranky there's a little more cranky and you know the sweats right the hot the hot flashes um but every now and then you get somebody who just completely loses their crap um and the men are no better there are many men who go through midlife sail through beautifully and you know the andropause doesn't make them crazy right so the little mr saucer of ice cream happening does not mean the end of the freaking world and they've got to go compensate for it but you know it only takes one or two of these guys with their race cars and their viagra to really make life living hell for the rest of us I'm just saying, so it's a hormone thing, not a one thing. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna try and keep this video under four hours. So what's in a marriage? Let's take a look at the marriage of Virginia and Clarence. All right, now the most striking thing I found about this uh, chart between them is they have a Chiron Chiron square. Holy cow, wow, that's big. So Chiron is a fairly new planet we started using, so we don't have a lot of information about it, um, but I do know that uh, Chiron Chiron Square is pretty, pretty big. And I know that in uh, some more experimental forms of astrology, they say that Chiron has to do with marriage. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't agree or disagree, but it's it's there. So I, I used Chiron in here because I thought it was noteworthy. Now, they have a Chiron Chiron Square. Obviously, his Chiron is here at 18 square. Her Chiron is over here at 13 Aquarius. So this year, we have just a string of eclipses happening in Scorpio and Taurus. That means that he's going to get that eclipse activation right there on or in opposition to his Chiron, and she's going to get it by square. This is going to get colorful. So um, as far as the marriage goes, one could say that with a Chiron Chiron square, they they hurt each other in the most deeply personal ways. I don't know how they've managed to, well, I do know because I've seen the charts, but um, let me tell you, like in any other circumstance, you would really wonder how two people who are able to hurt each other so deeply are capable of staying married to each other. So, or, or why they would even get married in the first place. But listen, when it comes to your spiritual lessons, Right. Oftentimes we can't see what we're getting involved with until after we until after we're committed to it. Then then we suddenly start finding out what the lessons in this marriage were all about. Now, Clarence's Chiron squares Jenny's Venus and opposes her Mercury. So uh, the 
the things that hurt Clarence most deeply, the things he's struggling to work through in this lifetime, her, Mercury and Venus, her very value systems and her opinions literally are at odds with the things that hurt him the most deeply. And it is ironic or telling um, that, you know, her being a MAGA supporter and all the things that MAGA represents sound exactly like the things that would hurt him most deeply. You know, as a black man in America with a college education, sitting on the highest court of land and still dealing with all the stuff, because if you don't know who he is, he's still just a black guy, right? So I thought that was interesting. Now, Ginny's Chiron is opposing his Pluto. So Clarence's Pluto, now remember, his Pluto is with his chart ruler Saturn, right? And it opposes her Chiron. So in a lot of ways, his, um, I would expect, because his Chiron is right here, right? And her Chiron's over here. I would expect that a lot of his controlling, overbearing behavior, which, you know, it's not controlling and overbearing if you like that in your partner. So if you're a submissive woman or man, you know, you want these qualities in your partner. You want your partner to be controlling and domineering and overbearing. That's what you like. That's what you're comfortable with. So I'm not saying this is a negative thing, but I will say in this particular instance, those very qualities that make him such um a dominant partner in a marriage would also, uh, for whatever reason, raise the hackles or really get her where it hurts her the most. So I'm not sure how that plays out between the two of them, but it is an interesting dynamic to take a look at. And also too, remember, she's got all this Aquarius, right? So, you know, she likes her freedom. You know, she may be as submissive as the day is long, but she likes her freedom. She likes having her independence. She likes having her own identity. So being buried or suffocated underneath that Pluto uh, with him may be the very thing that is so exhausting and trying for her. And that may be why we're seeing her get involved in these organizations as kind of a passive aggressive, you know, thumbing her nose at him like, oh, F you, buddy. See what I can do? Because this is mine. You can't touch it. Um, never underestimate the ability of grown adults to be childish. <laughs> so, um, so there's that. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was interesting, but let's take a closer look at what's going on. And remember these eclipses are going to hit them both. Kerpel, kerpel, kerpel all year long. If they're able to survive with these eclipses, if they're able to survive this year and stay married, I am going to be mightily impressed, mightily impressed. Okay, so for those of you who don't have a time of birth, do not panic. It is not the end of the world. Remember, everything you need should come from the planets and the relationships or aspects that they have with other planets. We use a time of birth to find houses, and we use the houses to fine-tune uh, the timing of events and the specific um, more narrow focus or expression of the planets, but ultimately the meat and potatoes of the chart, the majority of the information that you need absolutely should be coming from just the planets and their relationship or aspects to each other. If you're not getting the majority of your information from just that, then you're then you're not really reading the chart and you're missing a whole lot of valuable information. So with this particular chart, this is called a synastry grid. Ginny's charts are charts, her planets are across the top, and we read this from top to bottom. So it would be, for instance, her Jupiter, right, trines Clarence's moon. Okay, Clarence, of course, is here 
okay? And his planets are red left to right. These are just the planets. Now, some things we should know is that we don't actually know where Ginny's moon is. It's, you know, a couple of degrees, one direction, the other. So for, for that reason, we're just going to kind of ignore this column because we don't really, we don't know for sure where her moon is. I could leave it up, but just for brevity's sake, we'll leave it out. Now, what I've done is I've color coded the chart and what you're going to see is that anything okay with green is a positive or harmonious aspect anything in yellow is also a harmonious aspect the red and the blue are harsh or irritating aspects now in terms of compatibility obviously you'd like more compatible aspects than not compatible aspects so in terms of positive aspects even without our moon sorry this should be 13. right here We've got 21, or sorry, 20. <laughs> My math is awful. <laughs> we have 20 positive planets or relationships between planets, right? But here's the thing, and this is what's confounding me. If you look at the, the irritating aspects between them or the thing, literally irritating, the things that, that irritate each other about each other, we have 28 of these. And this is completely leaving out her moon, which will will tip this one way or the other. But I can tell you now, just by looking at this, it's going to make this number even higher. So if we actually had this moon close to where it it should be, say she was, she actually was born close to her moon, this would be one, two, three, four, five. So 28 would then become 33. So it, if we had the moon in the correct position, it would be 33 versus 21, right? So if her moon is where close to where it should be and she's born closer to noon, there's gonna be 33 disharmonious or, or irritating aspects between them and only 21, right? Which is a huge negative amount. We don't want that, not for a marriage. Um, so if, if we take the moon away, what we're left still is 28 negative and 20 positive. This makes this relationship really difficult to sustain because they get on each other's nerves. Um, but more specifically, if we look at this, it's actually, because remember, her planets go up and down, his goes sideways, right? So right here, okay, and here, here, like we see a lot of irritating factors not the yellow it's the blue on his part so i you know in a lot of ways she i hate to say it but she gets on his nerves um which really makes you wonder why he married her right so let's so right there's a big red flag like this is not the best combination or partnership between people and really makes you wonder what on earth are they thinking right so let's take a closer look at the marriage when we look at these two, it's it's hard when we're looking at this, right? Maybe there's literally so much that doesn't make any sense on the surface. So from a professional social, you know, class position, there are certain, certainly certain socio-dynamics and, and economic issues that and professional concerns, considerations that play into why Clarence Thomas would have left his wife and gotten married to this. Um, 
And certainly why this woman, who's clearly a MAGA lover, you know, and all their hateful racist stripes, would be married to a black man. I mean, if you're that much of a MAGA person, why would you have ever stepped out of, you know, your social comfort zone and married somebody of a completely different race, knowing how horribly that's going to be received by the very people you consider your tribe? So, I, again, there are things in this world I do not understand. So many things. So in any event, I mean, there are certainly some predictable reasons why Clarence would have done what he did. Um, if you're not familiar with Spike Lee Productions and the movie Jungle Fever, I really encourage you to watch it. Um, it's, it's Spike Lee's very, very, he's a very good storyteller. Um, the other is with her, like there's this thing, and I'm going to say some uncomfortable stuff, so don't, don't hang me on a cross for this. This is not an unusual conversation. But I have certainly heard white women who have discussed the fact that because they don't fit into the models of beauty that white culture presents for them, um, that they have been forced to find partners outside of their race because that's the only place they could find someone who would appreciate them, you know, and not see them as a disadvantage because they weren't something else, right? So the thing to understand is that with Virginia Thomas, she would have come of age and coming of age means being in your 20s. Those are your ripe, optimal dating years, right? So she would have come of age in her 20s, which would have been right about the 1970s. Well, in the 1970s, folks, the model of white beauty for a woman was petite, slender, blonde, with a very young or pixie-ish kind of face. This was uh, the 70s was the time of the rise of the supermodels right? All legs, no butt, no breasts, just a stick figure with a head and legs. Um, this was also at the end of the 70s was the original Charlie's Angels, right? You know, petite, slender, symmetrical faces, all this sort of stuff, looking like the girl next door. Um, and it was very important that you looked as close to that as possible, you know, to be considered foxy, right? Or uh, Valerie Bertinelli, um, as a matter of fact, was in the height of her, her, the, of her career at that time because she was the absolute girl next door, right? Um, clearly, Virginia was not any of these things. Virginia is tall. She is big bone. She's got a lantern jaw. Like she would have made a fantastic and very appealing potential wife for a lonely farmer in the 1800s that needed somebody to help him work the farm. But in the 1970s, she would have been as far removed from what's considered attractive by white culture standards as being a different race. So I have heard white women who often said that they have received better reception from, from black men or Spanish men, you know, because they're not, even though they're not the standard of white beauty, right? And that's why they started dating interracially. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. I'm just saying that this may have been a driving force in Miss uh, Virginia jumping the fence into territory that clearly would not have been uh, approved of or received well by the tribe she's coming from, right? Just saying. And clearly this is a tribe she understands and, and is warm and affectionate for because she's supporting them again now, in spite of the fact that she is still married to somebody who is the exact antithesis of what they approve of on any level. So there's that. And with Mr. Thomas, you know, there's this whole thing about the, <laughs> We can't get into it here, but there is a very real social, so, psychosocial dynamic that has a lot to do with being a successful black man in the United States 
and, you know, rising up the ranks and needing a trophy wife, right? And regardless of race, white or black, the idea is that a successful man at a certain level shows his success, not just by his professional status, but also his partner. So the trophy wife, you know, is the thing. This is why we hear all these stories about these men. They hit middle age, have a midlife crisis. They throw the wife out and get somebody, you know, half their age, young enough to be their daughter as the new wife. Well, trophy wise, typically, and this is changing. We are entering a new time. The, for all of you listeners who are under 30, you're entering into such a much better world. You have no idea. As messy as things are outside, it's a lot better than what we were growing up with. Oh, my Lord. Um, so with that said, you had to have a trophy wife. So for white men in white culture, the trophy wife was, you know, whatever the model of beauty was. So you either had a supermodel wife, you know, or you had a petite, slender, blonde wife. Typically, the white blonde is the big thing with trophy wives of these guys over a certain socioeconomic class. But she also has to be young. So this is why you see a lot of older guys that have extremely young wives. They know these women aren't married to them because they want to be with them. These girls are married to an insurance policy and a bank account. Come on, we know what's going on. And they know too, and they don't care. They need a trophy wife. So for black men coming up in these particular environments, remember, this is very old school. I don't know what it's like right now for the younger generations, but certainly with that generation and older, if you are the an anomalous black man who rose up the ranks to that level of money and class, you also had to have the trophy wife, which could not be a black woman. You had to have, of course, a white woman, preferably a blonde white woman, but definitely a white woman, because that would have would have shown that you have also arrived and you were also a member of that club, which happens enough <laughs> or happened enough that Spike Lee made an entire movie about this. Um, many of us know this story and this is probably what also contributed to Clarence Thomas taking on this woman to be his wife and still staying with her in spite of the fact that she supports the very groups that would like to see him dead. I'm just saying. So again, what would make a marriage like this stick? Well, the first thing, folks, if you're looking for somebody who's going to be with you for the rest of your life and will never leave you, Saturn trying Saturn. Saturn aspects are important for longevity. Strong Saturn aspects like a Saturn conjunction, um, a Saturn trine, Saturn sextile, but particularly conjunctions and, sex and trines. I guarantee you that marriage will last a lot longer than maybe you even want it to last. <laughs> So if you're looking for lifetime commitments and you honestly don't care if you, the lifetime commitment involves half a lifetime of suffering because you just won't leave each other, Saturn, Saturn trines are absolutely the gold star standard for longevity in a relationship. The other thing that these two carry, which is kind of interesting, is they have a Mars trine Mars. So the thing of the Mars trine Mars in a relationship is, and with them, they have the ability to operate in lockstep formation and get stuff done. They work better together than separately. So they have the the smooth efficiency working together as a team, like a Navy SEAL team, right? So that's very good when your ambitions and goals are the same because you'll be able to work together seamlessly to get the job done and get where you're trying to go. You know, the challenge with these two, of course, when you look at like, what are their goals and, and, you know, ambitions here, right? So they're both ultra conservative. They both have very regressive ideas about how the world is supposed to work. Anti-feminist, anti-equal opportunity, yada, yada, yada. But now as they've gone on in years, they're splitting into more extreme, well, she's splitting into more extreme directions. Um, 
And the whole MAGA thing is very concerning, right? But ultimately, at the root of that, somewhere along the majority of this marriage, they both had the similar goals and their ability to work together to achieve those goals is what not only made the marriage work, but also made the marriage attractive for each other that they stayed married. The final thing I'm going to say is that they have a grand trine in water. Um, and with a grand trine in water, just like the grand trine in the marriage in water in the marriage chart of uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, they have the ability to support each other in their own little right little tight little island of fantasy that they live on. Where's your grand trine? Um, and what that means is whatever these ambitions and ideals and visions of the future and the perfect world are, they support each other in those fantasies, regardless of what's going on around them in the real world, um, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what those fantasies and visions are. So they reinforce each other in terms of their sense of purpose in life and their goals. And these are very powerful things when it comes to marriage. Very often we think we're getting married because we love somebody. Um, but the reality is oftentimes it's hormones and impulse and, you know, financial considerations or security needs or, you know, pick a number of things, right? But the things that keep a marriage together and make it last are the ability to support each other's sense of purpose, the ability to work together, and the ease with which you're able to take seriously and maintain your commitments. All of these things that they have. So they may have the world's most unhappy marriage but the, they're not going to leave each other, right? You know, they'll just, like most rich people, and certainly other people, rich people do it easier, they'll just find other ways to find your happiness that are not inside the marriage. And uh, there's your food for thought. So why are they married? Well, they originally got married because they, well, you know, a number of reasons. It fulfills certain needs and expectations socially and professionally for each other. Why they stayed married? Because they were able to easily work together to achieve goals and uh, ambitions. Uh, why they remain married is because, and why they don't completely hate each other, is because they both support and reinforce each other's sense of purpose in life. And that's that. That's that. Everything else they're getting from outside the marriage. So, um, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Now, this year... You've got these eclipses in Scorpio and Taurus that are hitting them both and not in nice ways. So we'll see if their marriage survives uh, the rocking and rolling that's going to happen this year. Um, it may not. Um, but it will definitely be interesting to see how this plays out. Because at the end of the day, the direction that Virginia has steered herself into has everything to do with patronizing and supporting and championing the very groups that hate the very existence of her husband and people who look like her husband. And the fact that she's married to him makes this makes the marriage weird. Nobody's really sure what's happening. But here's the thing I want you guys to consider. And I'm just tossing this out there because it was an interesting idea that occurred to me, right? If I were any other kind of woman and I were her, right? So I am championing a tribe because I'm a party girl. I need to be part of the party. I need to be an important, special part of the party. I need my tribe. I will not be alone. I must be a member of a group, right? A special group, which she now is. And that group hates my partner for everything that he represents. And they hate the fact that I'm involved with him and not one of the tribe. How am I going to get myself out of this when he goes? Because he's going to go. If they don't get him, time and time, nature and life will in old age, right? 
and I'm not going to be alone. So the problem is because I'm a MAGA supporter, people who are not uh, white, or especially non-whites who are the targets of MAGA people are not going to embrace me. They're not going to welcome me with open arms. So the only people I have left are the MAGA people I've been supporting and championing all this time. But the problem is now that my husband is gone and I no longer serve a purpose for them because the th thing that made me valuable was my husband, right? And access to him and the things that he could do for them with me as the intermediary. Now that he's gone, I have no value. And I can't, and I won't be embraced by non-MAGA people and the MAGA people have no use for me. So how am I going to get out of this? Because I can't, I'm not going to be alone. Like, are you crazy? Well, you know, one could theoretically say that she could spin this and say that she's been like in her mind. I'm sure she sees herself as this, but she could play this as she's been some kind of Matahari, right? Some double agent spy, you know, who was staying in the marriage to support the cause. You know, she was literally continuing this marriage specifically and solely for the purpose of championing these MAGA people and their agendas. And that's why she was doing it. She, she would have left the marriage sooner if she didn't, didn't need to be there for them. Um, and if she does that, it does a couple of things because one, it gets her off the hook for voluntarily being in the marriage, you know, cause so you can say that you were young and stupid for doing something, but when you stay married for 30 years, the whole young and foolish choices doesn't wash anymore. You were there literally, you were no longer a victim. You're a volunteer. So it kind of resolves that. And the other is that it buys her some sympathy. Oh my God, you did this thing just for us. Okay. Well, we will forgive you right here. Come my child. We'll forgive you. We'll put that in the past and leave it there. The other thing that's interesting is, you know, in all of that, what this will also do is potentially attract a partner once she's forgiven by the tribe and brought back into the MAGA fold after the husband is removed, you know, the offensive object who now is not there anymore. And therefore she doesn't really have any value left. It could potentially attract a partner who's got some weird fetish with, you know, black men and white women having sex, which apparently is, there's a whole big thing about that. That's just freaking weird. Um, so there's some MAGA guy out there right now who's, you know, just waiting for the opportunity to have this white woman who's been, you know, despoiled by a black man, you know, because that's what he gets off on secretly. Yeah, I could, if I were a different kind of person and clearly white, not mixed, <laughs> I could totally see how a woman, especially for that generation, could spin that and try to literally play it that way when her husband is no longer part of her life and she loses her value as a result of it. So uh, the thing that mystifies me is how he doesn't see this. How do you not see this? Like, are you that blind? Well, remember, he does have the moon intercepted quincunxing those cancer planets and those cancer planets that that sun and cancer, Venus retrograde and cancer, these guys don't let go of anything. He's not giving up that marriage. Even after the marriage is over, he's not going to give up that marriage. So him leaving that marriage voluntarily is really slim to none. Like he would have to be a freaking eight, like a, a nuclear bomb dropped on that marriage to get him to leave. Um, which could happen this year. It could happen. But even then, I think he's still going to try and stay married. Um, so there's that. And the other thing is that moon is the blind spot. So not only does he have a big blind spot where his feelings are concerned, the moon also represents women in your life and women also become part of this blind spot. So it's perfectly literally possible that he has a giant blind spot where she's concerned and he just literally doesn't see it. It's like this hypnosis thing where literally something's right in front of you, but you're, you, you're just not seeing it because your brain's not registering it. 
right? They call it a negative hallucination. It's right there, but it's been wiped out from your mental processes. So even though it's physically in front of you, you're not seeing it because your brain's not interpreting it. So that may be um, what we're going, what we're looking at here, which is kind of terrifying, right? So when she said, till death do us part, it's too bad that he doesn't realize that she was serious. I'm just saying. And this has been the Astrology Investigates for Clarence and Ginny Thomas. Um, if you guys have any information about the activities of Miss Thomas during those time periods or Clarence or anything like that you want to add, please feel free to put them in the comments section. I'm totally open uh, to discussion. However, I will warn you, I will not have snarky remarks in my comment section. So if you're a MAGA supporter and you're just here to try and start an argument, no, just no. Nobody has time for that. And you guys have your parlor boards or Reddit or whatever else you're on to like, you know, vent the spleen over there. I'm not getting involved in that. Not interested, not welcome here. <sighs> okay. So, um, and then finally, of course, my friends. Um, if you enjoyed this, please hit the like button and let me know. Give me some feedback. Uh, if you'd like to get notification of other videos as they come up, please remember to click the subscribe button so you are notified. And if you think you know somebody who might enjoy this or find something humorous in this video um, or telling, ooh, <laughs> you're more than welcome to share this with someone else. So that's it. Uh, we're, we're not out of January yet, and the year is just going to get amazing. Um, Ooh-wee, but amazing in very, very different ways than we've had to deal with the last couple of years. So we're we're on the upswing. Hang in there, kids. Hang in there. And uh, that's it. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye.